A warm good morning to all of you, and Merry Christmas. If you have a copy of God's Word, would you please join me in the classic Christmas text of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Well, we're just one week away from the holiday, and the anticipation builds. Likely by now, you homemakers have all the decorations just where you want them, the house is dressed to the nines. And if I had to guess, many of you have at home an angel figurine, or, or maybe an angel ornament, or perhaps an angel Christmas tree topper. And that would be appropriate because angels very much had a significant place in the Christmas story. Today, I want us to learn from the angels. I want you to activate your spiritual sensitivities. I'm going to say something that may surprise some of you. Scriptures would lend us to believe that there are multitudes of angels in this room right now watching you and watching me. Perhaps even thousands or hundreds of thousands. You say, how would they fit? They're spirit beings. They take up no space. But they are here nonetheless, and they are watching us, and we can learn from them. If they were to suddenly materialize, I'm convinced we would all fall off of our chairs onto our faces in terror because of their brilliance, their radiance. And quite frankly, we might be tempted to worship them. The apostle John was, the revelator. In Revelation chapter 22, when an angel reported to him things still to come, he fell bowed before the angel, but the angel stopped him and said, no, don't do that. Don't worship me. Worship God. And that's our word for today. Every time I preach, I try to go before God and Soak my soul in the sacred scriptures and ask him to reveal to me, not only as I exegete the meaning of the text, but what is the passion? What is the burden you want me to share with God's people during that service? And this is what God impressed upon me for you today. Here it is. Kurt, bring my people the example of the angels who burn and yearn to worship me. And urge your people to follow their example. Johnny Erickson taught us, said of the late Elizabeth Elliot, she unflinchingly believed her Savior to be ecstasy beyond compare. I love that expression. Oh, to be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray, to be used of God, to show someone the way. I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire. To be used of God is my desire. Our theme today, the worship of the angels, the angels' song. Did you know the angels who are present here today watching you now Again, think about that. They're watching you, very close to you, observing. Scripture calls them the watchers. They are amazed to watch the redeemed worship, if in fact you are. They yearn to plumb the depths of the gospel that transforms sinners. 
1 Peter 1, verse 12. Angels, a bit of doctrine that you need to understand, cannot experience salvation like redeemed human beings. The angels who sinned, referenced in Genesis chapter 6, were confirmed in their estate, and there's no possibility for them to be saved. And the angels, the majority of them, who did not fall into sin, they do not need to be saved. So as I reflect on the contrast, this is what I wrote down into my notes. Angels may sing better than us, but they cannot fully know the joy of our song. Do you understand who the angels are? So many people are confused about angels, what they look like and what they do. You say, Kurt, can you explain what are the angels like anyway? And you may say, well, you know, there's this movie in the theaters this week called Avatar, The Way of Water. Are angels like avatars? Do this. The answer is no. They are nothing like avatars. Technically, an avatar is a mystical human, or I should say Hindu idea, that refers to a manifestation of an exalted spirit being into a human-like character. But the belief system represents a kind of pagan creation worship that features five elements, earth, water, fire, wind, and ether, or void, if you will. So God's angels are different. They're not gods. They're not spirit humans. They are created spirit beings. God's angels are usually invisible to us. I confess I have never seen an angel. In fact, I've never met a person who has seen an angel. But they can materialize if God so dictates. They're very intelligent. They're very strong, much stronger than us. They have the ability to make moral judgments and their purpose created by God to worship him and to communicate for him. Angel is from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. And as best I can tell from scripture, there are ranks of angels. At the very top, there are what we call the archangels, inclusive of both Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel is the Christmas angel who communicates, and Michael is the warrior angel who fights. And we get an we insight into Michael in Revelation chapter 12 when he's fighting in the heavenlies with his angels against the serpent, against the dragon. And he defeats this one and casts him down to earth with all of his evil angels. It appears to be both a physical and a spiritual battle. Now, as I go on in this denoting of the various ranks of angels, there are next in line what you might call the four living creatures. Very unique, very strange in appearance, Ezekiel 1, Revelation chapters 4 and 5. They're almost sci-fi looking with four kinds of faces, full of eyes within and without. And alongside, according to Ezekiel 1, there are wheels and a wheel within the wheel that are full of eyes, perhaps portraying the omniscience, the omnipresence of God who is watching all of us constantly. 
And in a sense, if I told you, angels are watchers. They are watching you, your response, even as the Holy Spirit of God unpacks the word of God to us today. Perhaps just beneath the four living creatures in rank are the cherubim. They're one of the most powerful of these angel groupings, fierce defenders of God's righteous judgments. Ironically, at one time, Lucifer, a name that means son of the morning, was one of the cherubim. He was called the anointed cherub until Lucifer decided he wanted to be God. And you read about this in Isaiah chapter 14, where God throws Lucifer out of heaven and he becomes known as Satan, which is a word that means the adversary. Then there are the seraphim beneath them. See a picture here of them. They have six wings. With two, they cover their eyes. They cannot stand to look at the blazing glory of the awesome God. Two of their wings cover their feet as a symbol of humility. And with two of them, they fly as if to say, we will do the bidding of our creator. Whenever he sends us on a mission, we will go instantly in obedience. These particular Creatures, the seraphim, reflect God's Shekinah glory, kind of like the moon reflects the sun. And the name seraphim literally means burning ones. We catch a glimpse of them in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah, in the year King Uzziah died, caught a glimpse of the Lord high and lifted up. That's a reference to Jesus Christ, John chapter 12. And his glory fills the temple. And these angels are singing, speaking antiphonally, praising the holiness of God. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, which means angel armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the antiphonal ones come back and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Capture a glimpse of the greatness of God as you look at him through the angels he created. And know that they're watching us today to see how we respond to the truth. Finally, there are what I might call the majority angels. Too many to count. They all play a role. I believe scripture teaches that angels, at least one, is assigned to each of you what we sometimes call a guardian angel. That's Hebrews 1 verse 14. Every one of you who's truly in Christ has one or more guardian angels who are present even here today. You have no idea how many times they have protected you, and they will protect you until God says it's time for you to come home. He uses his angels to protect his children. Today, I want to zero in on one of the archangels, Gabriel by name. You know him as the Christmas angel. Gabriel means, God is my strength. And Gabriel is the angel that intersects with all of the Christmas narratives we have studied so far in the month of December. You recall last week when Pastor Paul preached, he talked about Gabriel appearing to Zechariah. And remember, Pastor Paul mentioning this verse, what Gabriel said, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you good news. Then later in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel appears to Mary and announces to her about her miraculously, miraculous pregnancy with Jesus. It kind of makes me 
smile when I think about Gabriel appearing to these two people six months apart. When he appeared to, to Zechariah, it was almost like Zechariah was saying, you're too late for us to have a baby. And then to Mary, she said, you're too early. I'm not married. At least it hasn't been consummated. I can't have a baby without being married. But in both cases, God came through even as he predicted. I think Joseph probably had the same feeling as Mary, but Gabriel appeared to Joseph in a dream in Matthew chapter 1 to say, it's okay, this is a child of the Holy Spirit that's placed within the womb of your espoused wife. Now, that all leads us to our text for today. You can look at the screen with me or in your own copy of the scriptures. Here we are in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord, I believe that to be Gabriel, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You shall find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Or as it's rendered in our ESV, I think a better rendering, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Gabriel appeared alone when he announced to the shepherds that Christ the Savior had been born in Bethlehem. But suddenly, he was joined by a multitude of angels. Now that word in verse 13 literally can be translated thousands of thousands. It's a figurative expression for innumerable, too many to be counted. Before God created the universe, he first created angels. They are created beings. But he created them first. Look at this verse, Job 38, verse 7. It states, all the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God, the Bena Elohim, shouted for joy. We're talking synonyms for angels here. Angels, drawing an inference, are like stars in brilliance and stars in number. So how many stars are there out there in the universe? Look at this picture of the Milky Way galaxy. If you were on top of a mountain, you could see it much better than in a lighted room. We're a part of this galaxy with our solar system. But astronomers tell us the Milky Way galaxy includes somewhere between 100 billion and 400 billion stars. Let me stretch you. They also tell us there are billions of other galaxies, each with billions of stars. <laughs> Here, here's a picture of the Whirlpool Galaxy, which is 30 million light years away, filled with billions of stars. Just so you understand, this will blow your mind. One light year, one light year is 5.88 trillion miles. And the Whirlpool Galaxy is 30 million light years away. 
and the universe goes far beyond that. And scripture tells us God has every one of those stars named. What a God we serve. Now, here's my point. If the angels are as numerous as the stars, countless billions may have showed up on those Judean hillsides when the announcement was made by Gabriel. And could it be that God emptied heaven of all the angels to come to earth to praise the greatest of all gifts? Look at this verse from Hebrews 1.6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Imagine the scene. The sight and sound show must have been spectacular. <laughs> Here's what the angels said or sung. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. I memorized it as a kid. Peace, goodwill toward men. But the better rendering from the Greek texts is this. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, that begs the question, with whom is God pleased? And the answer is, he's only pleased with his chosen children who trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. They are the only ones to experience peace on earth right now. You, you must Experience peace with God through the blood of Christ's cross, Colossians 1.20, before you can experience peace of God, that sweet tranquility that we all, quote-unquote, pray for at Christmas time. And just so you know, eschatologically, into the future, this world will never know complete peace until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes back to earth and sets up his kingdom here on this globe. And then... Will know peace. May God hasten the day. All of this makes me think of the familiar Christmas carol we sang before my message. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plain, and the mountains in reply echo back their joyous strain. And what do they what do they say? Gloria in excelsis Deo. You say, I don't know Latin, what does that mean? It means glory to God in the highest. So today's message, the angel's song, begs another question. Why do they have a song? What is their song? Why do they worship Jesus? And here is the answer. Because they know who he is. That ought to send shivers down your spine. If you know him or if you don't know him, you need to know him. Let me give you a quick overview of the role that angels play in the revelation of Jesus Christ, his pre-incarnate being, and then through his life and death and resurrection and ascension and his return. Let, let me show you from Scripture the overview of what the angels do as they respond to Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to read these seven things for you, and I'd like to make this interactive. When we get to the yellow part... 
I'd like you to say it with me out loud. Can you do that? Is that okay? Say the yellow part with me. Here we go. Angels and Jesus, proven by these texts that I provide for you. At the creation of the world, the angels said, we know who he is. In the vision of Christ in Isaiah, the angels said, we know who he is. At the temptation of Christ, the angels said, we know who he is. At his agony in the garden, the angels said, we know who he is. At his resurrection from the dead, the angels said, we know who he is. At his ascension into heaven, the angels said, we know who he is. And at his second coming, the angels will say, we know who he is. At the birth of Christ, as seen in today's text, the angels were basically saying, in effect, we know who he is. Glory to God in the highest, which is just another way of saying Jesus Christ is God in the highest. You must believe that to be saved. Jesus Christ, little, little doctrine of Christ here for you, Jesus Christ did not come into existence when he became a human as a spirit in his pre-incarnate state for eternity as a spirit, he materialized at a point in time to become a man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Bible teaches the eternal sonship of Jesus. He eternally proceeds from the Father, which simply means that Christ is and always has been the Son of the living God. You have to wonder, were the angels astounded that they could worship the <laughs> the incarnate God without the light unapproachable? Were they in awe of seeing God now appearing as a human baby wrapped in strips of common cloth? Yes, without a doubt. But the angel's story is not complete without the shepherd's story. Why shepherds? The lowest in the social system of that day. Why, why shepherds? Three reasons. First of all, they provided a vast venue for the angels to appear on their fields. It was a natural sight and sound theater. Number two, they knew the location of where the baby could be found, likely in a communal cave where their flocks often found shelter in inclement weather at the edge of Bethlehem. Many shepherds, many flocks, some of those flocks were used for temple sacrifice in Jerusalem, just five miles away. And that's where they brought their sheep, and that's where they were told the shepherd, Jesus Christ, could be found. Because of the angelic revelation, they, the shepherds, knew who he was. Okay, here's the question. May it pierce and penetrate your heart. Do you really know who he is? When I think of the shepherds, I remember how Jesus referenced himself in John chapter 10. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He also says, I am the door of the sheep. By me, if any man enter, he shall go in and out and find pasture. And he also said in verse 27 of John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, 
and they follow me, and I give to them eternal life, and they will never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. <laughs> Some of you may be visiting today. Maybe you've come for a while, and you know a whole lot about Christmas and the story of Jesus, but you're right now asking the question, okay, the Bible says he, he knows those who are his, but how can I know him? The answer from Scripture. These things have I written unto you that believe. Everybody say believe. believe. That believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Every one of you can leave this room today knowing you're going to heaven, assured forgiveness of all your sins, possessors of eternal life. You can know if you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite him into your life. That is the message of Christmas. I love Christmas time. Almost everybody does. Even the majority of people who are not Christians. It seems most everyone gets a taste of Christ with the external blessings of, of the holiday. Our culture sings the songs of the season, eats the foods of the season, enjoys the traditions of the season, puts up the decorations of the season, gives the gifts of the season, and perhaps even attends a few services of the season, but the vast majority of the so-called celebrants know nothing of the reason for the season. They do not know who he is. Do you really, really know him? I'm not saying you know a bunch of facts about him. Not just intellectually here, but I'm asking you, do you know him experientially? Do you know him personally? And has your life been transformed as a result? Please try this verse on for size, 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows those who are his. And I submit, so do what the scripture calls the watchers, the angels. They, they know who here is a believer because they observe your lifestyle. If God's angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve those who inherit salvation, Hebrews 1.14, then they also know those who are God's. They're watching you. They are present here today. This is not some spooky show I'm sharing with you. There is a spiritual realm with the eternal God who is spirit Manifest through his son, Jesus Christ, and the angel watchers are present here looking and watching over your life, and they can tell if, in fact, you have been born again by the grace of God. The angels say of Jesus, we know who you are, and they say of believers, we know who you are, or better, whose you are. Ephesians 3, verse 10 kind of wraps us together. I just love this text. This is what it says. Through the church. What's the church? The church are genuine believers. Those of you here who have been born again who believe the gospel. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities, which is a fancy way of talking about angels, in the heavenly places. Now watch me. The angels see when you're born again. They see when you begin to take your baby steps in the faith. 
They see when you begin to walk in the Spirit, i.e. keep in step with the Spirit. They see when you produce the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. By the way, because Christians still sin, they see that the true child of God repents when he or she sins and confesses it. When they fall down, they get back up and begin walking afresh with God because of his grace in Christ. Angels, see how you respond to your trials. Angels see how you live. They see how you die. And they see how you worship. Oh, my heart is so full today. When you truly know the Lord, he lives on the inside. It's called regeneration. You're born again. Your life has changed. And you can't help but worship the Lord God because you've been changed by the power of his grace. And it will inform your face and your body and your lifestyle and your choices and your friends and your money and every aspect of your life will reflect, yes, the angels say, there goes child of God. They're with us this morning, the angels. And when they see us alive to God, they're enthralled by the mystery of God's grace in us. I'll be honest with you. Before I came to church early this morning, this is our third service, I begged God, please, would you save someone today through this message? Would you pull back the blinds from their eyes of those who are trusting in self-effort, good works, rites, and rituals? Will you prompt them to admit their sinners with no hope of salvation except through Jesus Christ? Would you bring them to their knees, figuratively speaking, where they'll embrace the gospel that Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and they invite him into their lives by faith, and their lives are transformed. Would you do that today for your glory, God? And what happens when you do that? Luke chapter 15, verse 10 says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of heaven. For what? Over one sinner who repents. I pray it will be you today, moving beyond head knowledge to a heart change as a result of truly believing in Jesus Christ. I, I, I want to close this message interactively. I want to obey the scriptures. I am told as a pastor in 1 Timothy 4, verse 13, to be devoted to the public reading of scripture. Some of you are really struggling to know how you can worship God tangibly today. I believe one way is not just through song, but through the reading of scripture. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to picture yourself with the angels before the throne of God. I want you to use your mind's eye and see yourself where you will be in the near future 
before the throne of God, bowing in worship with the angels to praise the God who provided salvation for you. Would you do that? I want to animate your spirits to worship by the reading of Scripture together. So here's what I'm proposing. I'm going to ask you to read with me an extended passage from Revelation chapter 5 that gets us to the other side that shows us what we're going to do when we reach heaven. It's Revelation 5. I'm going to ask you to stand together and read with me as an act of worship. Say it from your heart and worship Christ. And please, to help us stay together, pause at the punctuation points. Reading Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 14, reading together. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all that in them is saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. <laughs> 